Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 379. My name is Brando. It's been a few weeks since my last episode. I moved from Queens to Queens. <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are. Uh, we were talking about off the air. Well, I should have asked you, by the way, Chris, off the air. It's Leonard's? Leonard's? Yeah, Leonard's. Leonard's, okay. I'm semi-professional. I was asking all about your childhood and growing up, and I'm like... I think it's Leonard's. Should have asked that before. So oh, I'm in uh, Forest Hills, Queens, new home setup. So just a preface, if anything goes wrong, that's why. But I think we're going to be okay. Uh, where are you right now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm out here in California about uh, about a mile from the beach. So a little warmer than where you are, probably. Yeah. Uh, my new home setup, which is better, because I don't know how things were you during the pandemic. Um, you, do you have a home studio as well? Being a yeah, yeah. I, luckily, I built a, a studio here at the house uh, that's a carbon copy of my big studio up in the city. So, um, yeah. So, so we were pretty set up for for COVID. Luckily, we didn't know it was coming. But thank I, goodness, I had nothing. I remember one of the first interviews I did since the pandemic. Uh, a name you might know, Matt Sorum, and I'm like, I can't. I, I don't. I can't pass up this opportunity. But I had nothing to work from home. So I literally held up my cell phone on speaker to my laptop and it, it, it came out. Okay. You got the job done, huh? Yeah. I was supposed to ask him, um, I was, in, I was supposed to interview him again recently and I was going to talk to him about your version of number November rain, but he had to postpone again. And that's another story for another time. So if people no aren't familiar with Chris Leonard's, it's awesome because it's kind of like the newest guns and roses song that we got off the entire user illusion box set. So that's all. Maybe that's another, that's more of a geek conversation. So before we get into you composing November Rain 2022, I want to know more about you because it kind of, what made me kind of really happy to see this happen because November Rain, my favorite Guns N' Roses song. It, before, nice. before I started the podcast, just becoming a rock and roll fan, seeing the video on MTV, hearing what rock and roll could be, totally shaped a lot of things. So was excited to hear it and it just love what you did with it. And we'll, again, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but that's, I've given, given my history. I'm reading off your Facebook right now. And it says my, my screaming 18 year old garage band self would never have guessed that I would get to revisit, conduct and add orchestra to one of the greatest power anthems in rock history. So I kind of want to learn about 18-year-old Chris and <laughs> you growing up in your path because something I don't get to talk about on this podcast a lot is the orchestral music that I love. I grew up on classic rock, but my dad also got me into Mozart and Bach. And it's, so I'm, I, 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 you take it away. I want to know more about you. Where did you grow up and how did you get into this career path of yours? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, as I said, I was 
you know, just like floored when this opportunity came up because, you know, I grew up on the East Coast too. I was born in Boston mm. uh, and grew up mostly uh, North Philadelphia, about halfway between New York and Philly in a place called Easton, Pennsylvania, which is near uh, Allentown and Bethlehem, um, like the Billy Joel song. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that's, I, I got to, uh, I think I started playing trumpet when I was nine. Um, and my grandfather, uh, who lived in the Boston area, was a um, was a professional singer for a bit before World War II and sort of in the Sinatra style. So I grew up with a lot of like big band uh, from him and he would always sing. Uh, so I started with trumpet and I and I, I, I did love I loved that music. But, you know, I, I got to say when I think it was. Uh, you know, I forget which month it was, but, but, uh, but when I, when they first dropped that video for hot for teacher, uh, when the 1984 album came out, I guess I would have been 12. I was like, I literally dropped my trumpet and was like, all right, went to Sears, bought a Sears guitar for like 60 bucks. And, and that was the end of it. So, uh, I started playing guitar when I was 12, and, you know, I was in bands probably within a year or two um, and played all through high school. So that's that's where that quote came from, because that's that was my 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 high school experience was literally sitting all day, every day uh, on, on the weekends in garages and then playing in people's backyards and and, uh, you know, little clubs and things like that all around the, uh, the eastern side of Pennsylvania um, all the way until I went to college. Um, you know, and I was just a, a guitar, uh, just junkie. I, I, I loved everything. I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen, you know, like most of us did at that point in time. Um, but then, you know, I remember I was working, uh, you guys probably, do you guys have Perkins in New York? I know of it. I don't think you I know, know of it. So I know it's definitely, of it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, it's, you know, it's out here. They, it's kind of similar to like IHOP or one of those kind of things. Benigans. And that was my gig when I was, I believe, uh, 15 and 16. And I remember being, uh, being in there like flipping pancakes. Um, and they announced the tickets were going on sale for this new band, uh, at the Allentown music hall, um, which is not a big place. And they said, the album hasn't come out yet, but we're going to play you their first song. So they played welcome to the jungle. And I like immediately the second my shift was over, I went out and, and I immediately was like, I gotta go. And I got tickets and that was, I saw them, I think literally the week the album dropped Wow! Uh, or, or the week after. And that was the first time I saw Guns N' Roses and I was just blown away. Like just, I love those stories. What a show. Cause as I'm recording, just to throw it in there, as we're recording this, uh, today is the, I have um, the, 20, uh, the 20th anniversary of my first Guns N' Roses show, which was 2002 with Buckethead. So a very different experience. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but still it, yeah, it blew my mind. And, and as a guitar player, it's like, that was, you know, the thing that, that, that Slash did so well and, and, and the band did so well was much like Van Halen, quite honestly, in a, but in a very different way. They would have riffs where the guitar was just as the guitar line for something like Paradise City or whatever, like literally was just as iconic as the hook of the song. You know what I mean? And that sure. that's that's awesome. And that, that those are the kind of bands I gravitated to as a guitar player when I was growing up. Okay. So then how did, cause I had a lot of friends in band growing up and you asked before, cause I'm talking about my equipment. We're, we're testing things out before. And I just never had the talent. I try, I took a, 
an acoustic guitar class in middle school with Mr. Tand. I remember that. And I couldn't get past playing when the Saints go marching in on strings. As soon as chords came in, my, my brain gone. Okay. I remember having to take a, a, a summer course in college to kind of catch up on some things. And I took a music class. I took piano. I could do the pointing, like, like you know, when you first learn how to use a computer, but as soon as yep. it started to be the progression, I just didn't have that that brain. And I was always jealous of my friends in band. Uh, I never liked the, friend, the phrase band geeks. I was a band, <laughs> I was a band geek. I just wasn't in band. Uh, so yeah, how, yeah. how did you, again, go along this this path to being, I, I guess, what's the official, because I'm watching too much Seinfeld lately. Do I call you maestro? Uh, what's the uh, <laughs> conductor? <laughs> or, you know, what's the official yeah. title? Uh, the funny thing is I, I, I conducted my first live concert in Amsterdam like 15 years ago. Hmm. And it was a first because I usually conduct in the studio where they just all I know them. You know, the, all the musicians are my friends out here in L.A. So they usually just call me Chris. But uh, but I for the first time I went and conducted, you know, with a tuxedo out in out in Amsterdam like 15 years ago. And they all they raised their hand. Somebody had a question. Like, Excuse me, Maestro. And I literally <laughs> looked behind me because I was like. <laughs> Who's wait? That oh, not me. That's got to be my teacher, right? But but yeah, I mean, for me, you just call me Chris. But um, <laughs> or or um, you know, but yeah, in an orchestra, in a professional setting, they they would call me Maestro, which I still think is kind of I, hilarious. I love it. Um, but I came from you know, basically, I like I said, I was such a guitar junkie that you know, I I you could very easily translate tra- or trace the steps from basically from Eddie to Satriani and Kirk Hammett and then you start and Steve Vai and now you start seeing like okay well what actually you know Steve Vai was played for Zappa and Steve Vai was super into jazz and so was Satriani and now you start seeing now it started crossing over into fusion so by the time I was and you know and I was also in choir and and other things in high school so I was singing Bach and, and singing uh, things like that as well in high school. And I did have that sort of experience, but I was still definitely, you know, a rocker in terms of my, you know, my, my hobby, my, you know, the, the, the music I play on the side, but I started seeing like these guitar players who were all being influenced by these like insane fusion guitarists, like uh, Scott Henderson. And, you know, I became a huge Pat Metheny fan. So by the time I got to senior year in high school, um, I had started studying, you know, arrange jazz arranging and composition. And then I decided I wanted to go to school for um, for studio guitar playing. So I, I had to, you know, get more into, you know, soloing over different chord changes and stuff like that. And and uh, so I ended up getting into University of Southern California to USC, which is a great music school. Mm. And I came out here in the first year I was out here. Uh, I was a guitar major. Um and then I quite honestly, to be perfectly candid, I realized I wasn't that good. Um, there was, there was 12 people. I was good enough to get in, but there were 12 people in my class and there were three child prodigies. And then there were the rest of us who practiced eight hours a day and just could barely keep up. Um, and I was a, at that point, I was a good guitar player, but I wasn't like an amazing guitar player the way some of these guys were. Um, and so what I started to do, because I didn't have as much of a way to show off there, I did have a lot of, because I had taken all this theory and, and arranging in high school, I started writing charts for the jazz bands at USC and some of the uh, ensembles, oh, cool. chamber ensemble. 
and those were good and people started to like them. And, and, and so it got to the point where sophomore year, everyone started saying, Oh, you should, you should do more writing. And, you know, and, and then I had a teacher who basically said, Hey, you know, your music kind of sounds like film music. Have you ever thought about doing that as a career? And, uh, you know, and I kind of had, because I was a huge John Williams fan growing up, you know, in the eighties with ET and, you know, and star Wars and Indiana Jones okay. and all that stuff. You know, especially, you know, I would spend summers in Boston and we go see him at the Boston, uh, the hat show where uh, he was the conductor. So so I was like, yeah, I, I love film music. And, and you know, and so he set me up with a, uh, a keyboard player friend of his and said, you know, you go and help him out of the studio and get to watch some sessions. So the first session I ever saw in Los Angeles as a sophomore in college, uh, I basically carried all the guys keyboards in, sat down and in, in walks Henry Mancini um uh, to universal and you know for those anybody out here doesn't know I mean you know it's pink panther um you know uh it's just so many days of wine and roses uh breakfast at tiffany's all that stuff you know just a, a monster one of the best composers ever um and so i i literally changed my major the next day to be a composition major to study uh film scoring and uh and that's kind of where i did my 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 shift um, but that said, I kept playing guitar. I still play guitar. Uh, I don't practice like I used to. So my chops aren't as good as they used to, but I still do. And that's, that's probably what led to, led to this opportunity. Um, I do a lot of work with, with, with bands and I, I use a lot of musicians, uh, from bands that I love on my soundtracks, you know, like, you know, for when we did horrible bosses, you know, I had Mike McCready play on it and, you know, from Pearl jam and I had, uh, wow. you know, Chris Cheney from Jane's and I had, you know, Matt Chamberlain played, uh, some drums on it at Victor Adrizo, you know? Uh, so I, so I, I often try, I often still play with a lot of the people who I idolized growing up. And so, uh, my lawyer who also works with guns and roses, um, called and said, Hey, they need a, a per somebody to do a string, a string rearrangement for this, you know, for the, the record. And, you know, and you're one of the few guys I know who love, who has like a full classical training background, but still comes from the, the original mindset of being uh, an eighties rock and roll guitar aficionado, you know? Okay. And so it just seemed like the right setup. Well, that's cool. So I'm, so I'm going to sprinkle some fan questions in with that. Cause you mentioned oh, we we got a lot of fan questions because it was just uh, people were kind of blown away. We weren't sure what to expect. Like November rain, it's going to get be updated, and uh, so you kind of. I'll just credit this one to to Raphael uh, Brito. So we kind of know when and how you were invited to do this through your your lawyer um, that that asked you, and that's the thing that I've been taking from just talking to you in these first few minutes is that you have this really educational you have this background the smart background the studies but you never lost that 80s rocker in you and that's just influencing everything and it gave you this opportunity you know where you, another conductor who knows maybe maybe more experienced you know maybe been doing it 10 years longer than you wouldn't have gotten it maybe that was the situation but they didn't have the same passion you know growing seeing guns and roses before they blew up so you kind of have that 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 emotional connection. So that kind of adds to listening, the listening power. It's not just some guy that it's a maestro that came in here and it's like, all right, one, two, three, all the French horns, let's go. You have a heart. Exactly. You have a, actually you have a heart that's connected to it. So that's pretty special. Um, so when that call happened, was there an, an audition process, audition process or 
how did it go from there? Are you just like, okay, my name's in the hat. We'll see what happens. Yeah, well, I put, they definitely put my name in the hat, and then I had a, I had a conversation. I know I had a conversation with their manager Fernando and a couple of the guys from Universal, uh, Jeff Fura, and a couple others, uh, Andrew Daw and um, Mike Johansson, and 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 I think they all very you know they quickly you know, you, a little googling online and you can you can find me conducting and and you can listen to my music and 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 hear that that I would have the orchestra side uh taken care of without any problem but i think once we talked once i talked to them they you know within 10 minutes i kind of told them what i already told you and they said oh okay well this guy this has to be our guy because uh you know he he's actually someone who understands you know this genre and and has a reverence i think they needed they wanted to make sure they had somebody who had a reverence for the material right. um and who you know you wanted somebody who already like adored the song and and wanted to make sure that we added the real orchestra which wasn't able what wasn't done at the beginning um but didn't didn't mess with it i mean that was the thing they, i think they wanted you know it's there are, there are certain things that are like you just don't touch it and uh and that was what i think i i made clear was i wanted to be able to enhance and and support with the orchestra but i didn't want the orchestra to take over the song because that's not what it's about um and i think that that sort of made sense to them do you go about recruiting your team for this do you go about recruiting the right musicians how does that happen like you're the guy you're the head okay this is you have in your mind okay i want these people to play violin i want these people to play this how do you go about creating a team and how many people were, I mean, it was a 50 piece orchestra I read. Yeah. It was a little over 50 actually. It was a little over 50. It was like low fifties, 53, I think. Um, well, I, I mean, the nice thing is we, we, you know, thankfully uh, universal backed us up to record here in Los Angeles. Um, and we recorded at Warner brothers studios, which I've recorded, you know, probably close to half my movies at, um, and because we record in LA, I got to basically hire all my friends. Um, and, and they're the people who play for me when I do, you know, when I do horrible bosses or ride along or, or, you know, any of the movies that I do here in LA. Um, so I know them really, really well. And yeah, I think we definitely put that when we put the call out, you know, we, we definitely, we knew which one of our uh, friends were like a super, you know, rock and roll fans. So we wanted to make sure that we loaded the orchestra up with, with people who would get the idea of how much, how much power we had to bring to this, this tune. So, you know, we definitely filled it with that, but, it, but there are people who play with play for me all the time in the studios and, uh, and luckily we were able to, to get them all and, and put them together. Right on. Uh, this question is from, believe it or not, there are more than one Guns N' Roses podcast. <laughs> uh, mine is different. I have a very interview-based. Uh, this is from Guns N' Radio podcast. They just break down Guns N' Roses songs. Nice. So there's enough in the world for, for both of us and more. Sure is. He said, uh, they said it would be definitely interesting to know the process of turning this synth orchestra into a real legit one. And I need to admit this. I had no idea it was synth. Until later on, I grew up I'm like this is orchestra, especially with the video and the conductor and everything. I'm like, yep, they did the whole thing, and and I got to say, I, I I agree. I think you know, especially at the time, you know, first of all, they you know the way it was mixed originally, it, you know, it was in there, but it was sort of there was enough other stuff going on around the, the orchestra that you sort of didn't notice that it wasn't really real, and then when you saw the the video you kind of said oh I, I i thought oh well there was maybe some real and some mixture of of synths from before um 
but uh but it wasn't until it wasn't until i got i actually got all the stems uh of all the different tracks from the mass from the original recordings including that synth stem because i wanted to make sure that i used that as 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 my jumping off more my my starting point because axel did such a great job of it um and i didn't want to again it's like i said i didn't want to change what was what made the song so iconic to begin with i just wanted to start there and, and enhance it <laughs> but um but yeah i mean considering the the gear that they had at in that era it's amazing that it sounded so good they did a they did a phenomenal job they really did um so now our our job was just to make it even bigger and even more lush and 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 bring that reality to it um and so yeah like you know to answer that question like i said i actually got all the separate tracks so i was able to just solo the strings and then just soloed the bass and guitar to make sure that the uh the basses in the orchestra followed what the bass was doing and to make sure that you know the accents were right by listening to what you know what what you know when the kicks were happening when the snare was happening to make sure that was that was all marked out in the music and the accents were all going to be exactly right um so that was all part of part of the whole thing and even in terms of like i said i i i kept so much of what was what Axel had done as inspiration. But one of the things that I was able to do by hearing Axel's multiple tracks was realize, okay, well, towards the end, I can actually take the violins higher and have them play a counter melody that's above Axel's voice. So I don't get in the way of his voice. I'm just, I'm just surrounding it and, 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 and enhancing it, um, which I think was really helpful. And if I hadn't had access to those separate tracks, uh, it would have been much more difficult for me to really pinpoint where those spaces that I thought the orchestra could shine would be. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of how we went about it. And, and, um, you know, and I did a couple different passes and, uh, you know, and, and really would send it to universal and send it to their management and, and just make sure that that was what they were liking that we're doing, you know, we were moving in the right direction. And, and I, you know, I just addressed some notes as far as, you know, how big to get, how busy to get, how, when, when to stay out of the way. And, uh, you know, we sort of did a couple passes back and forth with, with me doing it on sense as well. And then we got everything ready and, and went into the studio and, and spent a day at Warner brothers recording all the live players. Cool. And that kind of lends itself to another question from uh, Raphael Tavares that, things that possibly Axel wanted to do in the original recording, but didn't have the technology to do. Did you possibly like what you gave us some of the feedback and you certainly don't need to tell us, uh, you know, anything that's, that's privy or, or, or classified, but like did Axel actually get any involvement or was it, you kind of just got direction from notes with management. And uh, I guess that was just on their end talking to Axel. Yeah, I, I wish I had gotten to hang out or talk with with Axel and the guys. They were on tour. In fact, I think they might have been in Europe. Um, so I wasn't able to, to. I was hoping maybe they even come to the session. That wasn't possible. Um, but I think yeah, all the notes came through management from them. Um, but I would say the one thing that that was interesting is there's certain things you can do in live playing that you just can't do with samples with with synths, especially not in you know 89 90 91 you know because at that point you know if you really listen every accent of every even the flutes um they every single note has an accent on it so it goes bop 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 like that whereas a, a real flute player would never do that a real flute player would go or they could but they would rather probably go 
da 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 be so they'd slide they'd slur the notes together to make it sound more like a phrase and so that's something you'll hear on our our, our newer version was it's it's a little more with the idiomatic they would say to the instrument so the flutes are played less like a keyboard and more like a flautist would play um and the same thing with uh there's a couple of cello solos in there that are in the midst of it that uh that also have what they call portamento which is when one note slides to the next note so instead of going bottom you go bum and you slide up to it just the way you know eric clapton would slide up to something but you can do that on a real instrument but it's very difficult to do that uh with samples and it was impossible to do that in the night in the early 90s so that was that was some things that we knew we could bring uh to probably what axel would have done had he had his own real real orchestra or 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 more modern since that we have now so uh, i tried to update it in that way just to take the the what i think was his original intent and bring it more to life at the overall challenge of that because obviously you're the right guy to be chosen you know for for a variety of reasons but it's something that i i like to admit to even though i've been doing radio for 20 years because there's too many people that have ego and they're never nervous you know i could talk to anybody i'm nervous all the time you're pretty relaxed. I mean, we're both in sweatshirts, glasses, and hats. I feel like I'm talking to my brother here. My beard's right. a little bit longer. <laughs> but uh, what was – you obviously were excited, but was there not just pressure you felt like, okay, I have a, a standard to live up to. I mean, even though you were already successful doing movies, but then the fan reaction too because you're touching something that's sacred. So was there – like what was the balance between excitement and nerves or anxiousness? I guess the, the whole spectrum of feelings. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, obviously I was very excited and incredibly, you know, like I said, very, very reverent for the material. I, I you know, I, I – there was some nerves, but I knew – like I'm a firm believer that there are some things that are – that just should not be messed with. Um, and so like if they came to me and said, Hey, do a whole new version of this song and re-record guitars and bass and drums, I would have said, you're nuts. That's the worst idea on the planet. The only reason that this made sense to me was because the only thing we were changing was taking a fake orchestra and making a beautiful real orchestra in a beautiful studio with the best musicians in the world. Otherwise, I would have been absolutely against this idea. It's like when they start, re, you know, like trying to remake The Godfather or something. Mm -hmm. Like, just don't, don't do it. Um, so I think that's part of it. But then the other thing is, if you're going to provide an update, whether it's a sequel for a movie or whatever, you know, I, you know, we'll use James Bond as the example, which is like, if you're going to make a James Bond movie, you better use the James Bond theme, and you mm -hmm. better use it all over the place, and you better make sure it's played with the right sounding guitar and you better make sure that the the melody the da na 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 better be played with the right brass you know and you better you have to give it that reference because of the iconic value uh, the iconic you know reputation value you know just the fact that it's a staple in society it's 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 so far beyond just you know a song that people that a, a great song that people loved at the time you know, November Rain and so many of GNR's songs are in that same world of, you know, of Zeppelin or 
you know, Journey or Van Halen or, um, you know, uh, the Beatles or Elton John or whatever. It's like there are those four or five songs, if they're lucky, that each of these bands have that transcend a hit and become something that everyone puts on this pedestal the same way they would put, you know, honestly, Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker on a pedestal or, you know, Frank Sinatra. And once you have that, once you, once you're dealing with that piece of material, that's so iconic, you have to be very careful to, to not fuck it up, you know, to not mess this thing up. And that was, that was my thought from the beginning was, uh, you know, I need to be as cautious and caring about dealing with this as, as, with the same amount of intensity as I think the fans would probably be nervous that someone might mess it up. Like I had to be really careful about that. And so, you know, that I think led me to, to handle it the way I did, which was start with Axel's original inspiration and um, you know, and then just try to try to, like you said, look for places that the orchestra could bring something new to the song that he wouldn't have been able to do back then because of the technology, but will not overshadow his voice or Slash's playing or the groove or the production. And, uh, and that was really how I approached it. And, and again, even, even for the last, we recorded probably a year and a half before it was actually released um, just because that's how long it took to get everything mixed and artwork and all the other elements of the box um, so it was a while to wait on it. And I, I have to admit, I mean, during that whole period of time, you know, whenever I talked about it with anyone or whatever, we're, we were hearing that it was coming, you know, that, that, that you get that little pit in your stomach where you're like, Oh my God, I hope the fans are okay with this. I hope they don't just, you know, just literally d demolish me because I touched this sacred, sacred, uh, you know, uh, work. And, uh, I gotta say for the most part, the reaction has been really, really good. Um, yeah. I've seen very, very few negative reactions and, you know, and, and if, you know, if someone literally has the opinion that no matter what you can't touch anything, then there's nothing I could have done right. to, to, have, to have avoided that. But I think for the most part, people who hear it, I think it's pretty easy to hear, hopefully that, Oh, that guy must have been a really big GNR fan, and he must really, really love rock music, because I, I think I approached it from that that angle. And it wasn't overwhelming, like you said. You there was you stuck to the source material. You mentioned you you, know, you got all the stems to it, and it wasn't like it was you were trying to outshine the original song. It kind of just played a part. And and you mentioned before, which is what really sticks out to me as the major difference for me with the violins in certain places and. You know, I, I love that. So is there a particular part of the song that you are proud of? They'd be like, okay, that's got the, you know, the CL signature on it. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's the, I think it's that last sort of, that last chorus where ever you know, or the last, uh, you know, the whole last section where it's going into kind of like, you know, you know, Slash is doing the, the, uh, the, the high guitar and the violins are above that. 
doing high string, you know, high long legato strings, which I think brings it to sort of a level that it wasn't at before. It brings it to one notch higher, not in terms of good or bad, but just in terms of passion or in terms of like lushness. Um, and, and that's something that, that I try to do in, in my movies whenever I can, as well as, is sort of have the orchestra bring more of what's inside. It's sort of like, you don't really notice it. You're still, you're still listening to Axel's voice and you're still listening to the guitar lead, but it's something that's floating around it that just makes you feel more spiritual, more, um, it's just more, it's that it's those tingles, you know, and it's the same kind of tingles that you have when, you know, when, when like Han Solo and, Princess Leia like hug each other at the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know. You're a Star Wars guy, I can tell. Can you tell? Can you? Yeah, Star Wars and 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 rock guitar, uh, <laughs> I, which is I, hilarious. I, I've said this in the podcast before, but uh, I'll say it to you. And, and I'm sorry, I I've never ever seen a Star Wars a movie ever, but I've what? seen Spaceballs like two. This is hilarious. Times. So I know I pretty much know the story. Like I really do. It's it's kind of like. Wait, so was Spaceballs funny without seeing Star Wars? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Cause it's kind of like the comparison you use with Star Wars is the same, like where it's not just a movie, it's in the lexicon that even if you're not a fan, you yep. know it. And that's why I, I started this podcast. It's not just because I love GNR, because I, I feel like anybody, uh, a cheerleader, a little kid is going to know November Rain, Welcome to the Jungle, Sweet Child of Mine, because it's in the pop culture lexicon. Yep. Same thing with Star Wars. I mean, yeah. I just feel like I know all about the, uh, oh, what is it, the, the, the carbonite when he got stuck into yeah. and like, you know, you the, who's the father, gets his hand shot. I mean, I know the story, but oh, you watch. I, I know. I, now I, it's, it's, it's too late. No, uh, there's too many of not, them now. now not, well, most of them are, you know, there's only uh, still a handful of really great ones. So you can start with those. Is that the ultimate goal by, for you, by the way, to work on a Star Wars movie? I certainly would not be upset about it. It's, it's, I definitely, you know, yeah, I, I would love to work in a Star Wars movie, but I'm also like, you know, I would love to do a Bond movie. I would love to do a gangster movie, you know, a mafia movie. Um, all good. Uh, you know, but yeah, I, I, you know, definitely love, but you know, the funny thing is it's not all that different. Like it's iconic. I think that's what I love. I like music that's like iconic and has a, uh, has a strong purpose and point of view. And in that sense, I don't think there's that much of a difference, quite honestly, between, you know, something like, you know, use your illusion and the Godfather and Goodfellas and, you know, uh, you know, and quite honestly, any other great and, and goodbye yellow brick road. Like mm. they're all, they're, they're, they're actually very similar for me in terms of like, the respect for like creating something that stands the test of time. Um, and that's, that's, what's pretty cool. So I th any, any movie that's in that world is something I'd probably want to do just the way I'd love to be able to be involved with any records that are, you know, that are in that kind of a iconic ballpark as well. Right on. And I'll read you this compliment. It's not all questions. This is from uh, Leandro. This is by far the, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm getting over a cold by the way, too. No this problem. is by far the best remix of a GNR song. Steve Wilson made all the instruments sound crystal clear. I'm praying for a Chinese democracy remix by this dude. So he is amazing. How is it working with Steve Wilson from uh, Porcupine Tree? 
I mean, you know, I, I like I said, I, I didn't be, it was in the midst middle of COVID. So there was no actual, okay. you know, face to face contact, but he would send, I would send him the tracks and he would, he would, you know, send us refs and I gave some notes. And then the, the, then the band gave notes through their, through the, the management. And I think it went back and forth, you know, three or four times getting honed in, but even the, his first pass sounded really great. Um, and yeah, man, he did a superb job. It was so nice. Well, let me ask though, I, that I didn't think of this before because you, you talk about COVID and during COVID times, not all this face to face, and we all dealt with that. What about the orchestra itself? Were you guys all in one room with masks? We we were with we were all masked. We all tested the morning of, uh, and then we had to separate the orchestra. So we did the brass and the and the winds separate from the strings uh because brass and winds obviously can't wear masks huh. so so we had them very spread out i think there was 12 feet uh in between each player which is very unusual that's wow it's really hard to make that happen um so it, it took a little bit of getting used to you know as far as everyone hearing each other and making sure that they could they could line up and and, and be really locked in tight yeah and then all the strings were all masked up and i was masked the whole time yeah, they did shoot video of all that of the whole session. So I'm hoping one day they they release some of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, wow, what an undertaking! And just to be, we're doing it. This is happening. No matter what, we're going to figure this out. And uh, it was it's an undertaking without all of that, you know, yeah. to deal with. And it, I didn't even think about that as I'm asking the question. Like, yeah, certain players they're not going to cut a hole in their mask and, and put a, a flute in there. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this is a question from uh, Sean Gill. Since you're such a GNR fan, what other songs from that catalog would you might want to rearrange or collaborate? Oh man, um, you know, "Sweet Child of Mine" pro- as a guitar player, that's probably my favorite because that riff is just just sickly, amazingly brilliant. Um, so I'd probably start with that one. Uh, "Welcome to the Jungle." Um, Oh man, uh, Paradise City, I love. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely those would probably be my first three or four. Uh, but November Rain was honestly was a, like you was the top of the list. Like so, the fact that I got to start with that one, I'll I'll take any of the other ones. But this was this was the this was the big one as far as being able to like bring bring something new to it. There is no bigger, I think, orchestral rock song that you could have done this with. And again, yeah, the, I mean, it, yeah. the GNR fans are a really tough fan base. And so you, I mean, again, you can't please certain people, you know, they just don't touch anything. But I think overall, because there was some confusion at the beginning, is this going to be a completely new new song, re-recorded? But once I think people understood what this was, like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then they released it as a single and just, wow, that's the, I mean, as somebody who hosts a podcast, I'm, I'm telling you, it was, I see all the complaints. They were not about... November rain. They weren't about that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm really I'm grateful that that we, that I think we, we did it right. And we all took that thought into consideration as we, as we did the the project. So I'm glad that it worked out that way. Cause you know, I would, I would, I would hate to be the person who, who, who made anything worse. I would, I only wanted to make it better. So no. I'm glad that he thought so. No, they got the, they got the right person on it. And uh, you definitely fought through a lot of hardships to get this th- really thing, this thing done. And, and, I love how GNR released the video with the new version of it. I mean, how special was that to see? That was amazing. I mean, I I was really yeah, I was super excited about that. 
Um, like I said, I'm hoping they maybe release a, a second version with uh, with some of the studio stuff we did. Uh, but uh, but other than that, yeah, I was thrilled to see it. Cool. I do want to mention because as my wife's walking around, uh, you went to go see Dave Matthews a few weeks ago, right? Uh, yeah, a month or two. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm, she is probably more obsessed with Dave Matthews than I am with with Guns N' Roses. She's happy now. You ever meet him? As she's like listening, you ever meet? You ever meet Dave Matthews, or are you just a fan that you go and, and you yeah, get a well, chance I'm, to work with him? Yeah, I've never worked with Dave, um, but luckily, so so their bass player Stefan Lassard is a dear friend of ours, um, and he's played on about four or five of my scores, uh, and we've even done a couple songs together. We did a song with Katie Tunstall together, and uh, and I originally. Uh, I met him working on horrible bosses through a friend. And then that summer, we actually ended up at a family summer camp with his wife and kids and my kids and my wife. Um, so our kids became friends. So yeah, we've been friends with, with Stefan for a long time. So every time they play in LA, LA, um, and even when I'm abroad, I've seen him in London, whatever, he always, uh, he always gets his great tickets and we usually end up, you know, backstage with everybody and, and, uh, they're all amazing, amazing musicians and, and Dave's super funny. I would love to work with Dave someday, but, uh, but Stefan and Carter, the drummer is just one of the greatest, one of, they're one of the greatest rhythm sections in like pop music in history, as far as I'm concerned. They're really great. Um, so yeah, that that I've been super lucky to to get to know those guys, and they're cool. You like that answer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're awesome. How many? I think you've seen them what over fifty times. Whoa. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. I, I, fifty. I mean, if she ever, I told her if you want to start a Dave Matthews podcast, we got the equipment here. Uh, Do but, it. I'll but, be on that one too. But really, I mean, thank you so much for your time. You're you're really cool. It's, again, not just because we look alike. Uh, <laughs> so it's ChristopherLennerts.com if you wanted to keep up to date with everything. I, I know okay. what else other projects, because I'm just looking at your Facebook too as, uh, as well. You did a soundtrack for a Marlon Wayans film uh, on uh, The Curse of Bridge yeah, Hollow. Like, yeah, what else just... is your hand in right now? Yeah, well, the 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 big ones that I'm, that my hand is in right now is uh, is the spinoff for the TV for the boys uh, mm -hmm. on Amazon, which is called Gen V, and then season four of the boys because I do the boys uh, and I write all the songs for that show as well. Um, and so that's going to be in the next year. We'll have both season four and the spinoff, which is coming sooner. Um, I'm doing the uh, the I did the the movie Sausage Party, and we're actually doing a series uh, for Amazon of that show that show as well. That. Yeah. With Seth Rogen and and Kristen Wiig and Ed Norton and everybody again, which would be really cool. So uh, so that one's good, not for the kids, but it's still fun. <laughs> um, and then for the kids, I've been doing a lot of stuff for uh, for Disney, and uh, I got a couple of things. If you go to if you ever get out to the West Coast and go to the theme park out here, I'm doing some stuff for that. And then uh, yeah, and then I'm writing a, a musical for Broadway too. So wow. Uh, so that might take a, still a couple more years to get there, but probably in the next three or four years, hopefully we can get something on stage uh, in New York and then you can come see it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we got to get November Rain uh, Broadway. We got to make that a whole. Hey, I mean, make a, you know, it could be a GNR musical. I, I, it's probably, I don't know. That, we got to put that out there. There's never going to be a GNR movie with all the lawsuits and everything that's happened. Yeah, in the past. no, you can't do that. But a musical, I mean, come on. If Green Day can have one, Guns N' Roses. Green Day did one. it. Alanis did it. Carol King did it. So you know, well, possible. We know the guy who can, who can put it together. Oh, too, hey, I'd love to. Oh, too cool. This was. Um, thank you for, so much for your time, Chris. And I hope we get to do this again. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully I get to do some more stuff with the band and, and then I'd be happy to jump on, of course. Right. And I'll, I'll ask this too, because this was probably like the best part of Guns N' Roses news in the last few months with the box set finally coming out and this awesome new version of November Rain. I don't know, because you're probably so busy if you've been following you know, recent news. And I'm just also letting my fans as uh, I'll talk about this probably in another episode. So Axel has been throwing his microphone for 30 I years. I did see this. Yeah, yeah I did. into the crowd, you know, all the time, you know, fans get it. It's big, a big thing. And this Australian woman got hit in the face. I heard that. And I actually, I think I texted Australia, right? I got her number from the news station and I was like, I mean, I want to interview her. Has that ever happened to you in a concert? Have you ever thrown like a, a an orchestra wand and like killed them and, and pierced someone's You know what? Eye? I have never thrown that. That's actually pretty funny. Um, I've never, I've never done that. And of course, I'm a guitar player, so we threw picks, which literally couldn't hurt a fly. Made it a lot easier. I, I'm assuming drumsticks could be a problem, uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I kept wondering, like, oh, is there a way to like have like a get like a Nerf? Uh, holder for the microphone at the end so you can still do it and keep it soft here's what i say and i'll again i'll break it down uh next episode i'm going to get some aussie fans because i love interviewing gnr fans around the world a nerf football this is coming from the oldest of four boys a nerf football could fuck you up if you're not looking wow. it, could, it yeah, really could hurt nice you yeah. and so i mean if you're not looking and people are like oh pay attention i'm a butterfinger so it would have hit me in the face and i don't uh, know if you ever uh, broke a nose i mean they're all connected oh, yeah. I mean, you can get black eyes without it actually hitting your eyes. It's just your blood. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. But uh, so it was just fun to talk about some actual Guns N' Roses news because the last few days I've just been typing away about like, microphones and whatnot. So crazy. Well, that's funny. That's funny. Well, hopefully she's okay. And that was cool of that was cool of Axel to 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 you know bring it up and say say he was sorry and whatever, which is great. So a different guy than the one we grew up yep. with. Definitely. Yeah. Different, yeah. Different he seems very. He seems very. Uh, you know, seems like he's really, you know, just a sweet guy now. Love it. Uh, so ChristopherLeonards.com, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope we get to do this again. But as far as the next episode of Appetite for Distortion, when will you see it? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, if soon as the word. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.